With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more know, doors. The show is called The deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to This is the Jet Life with Dan Burnham, your guide to the New York Jets sports and much more. And now, your host, Dan Burnham. What is up, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of This is the Jet Life. Tonight's episode coming to you Tuesday night following a Jets 17-24 defeat against Miami at home. The Jets are now 2-8 on the season, 2-3 at home. They're 0-4 within the division, and this is a game that we thought maybe they'd be able to come out and win or at least compete, and they did for the most part in this game, but they came up a little bit short. I think overall it was a fun game to watch. I think that Joe Flacco played well enough, did put the Jets in situations to win this game. Both teams played well enough. It wasn't a ton of mistakes or sloppy play. There were some bad penalties, some OPIs, and some bad personal fouls in this game. But other than that, it was pretty clean play. It was timely defense. It was a couple missed field goals, a couple big plays. It was fun to watch. It was a nice ride. But in the end, the Dolphins come out on top. Jets lose this one 17-24, and we got to talk about it. But before we do, I need to remind you to rate, review, subscribe to this podcast anywhere podcasts are found. This podcast can be found under the Gang Green Nation podcast title. The series title is This Is The Jet Life. You can also follow me on Twitter at Jets underscore Dan. We're going to start with a quick game recap here. The Dolphins get the ball first. They go down the field and they score with ease a touchdown right away. And instantly you're nervous. This is going to be another one of those games where the Jets defense can't stop anybody. But they do start to tighten up right after that. They don't score right away. But the defense makes some decent plays. Ashton Davis gets an interception, his first of his career. So that was exciting. They get the ball back, good field position. Eventually, they get down to the goal line. On a fourth and goal, they go for it. 
I was actually in favor of going for it there because the Jets need to get points. They need to get touchdowns. It's not very often that they're on the two-yard line. And worst-case scenario, you line up Miles Gaskin, a running back that can be tackled in the backfield somewhat easily on the two-yard line and ask him to run it up the middle. I thought maybe they'd be able to get out of it, um, you know, possibly even with a safety opportunity, even if they didn't get the touchdown. But they did on a quick score to Jameson Crowder. 7-7. It remains 7-7 until the very end of the first half, where the Jets have a 55-yard field goal try from Matt Amendola. He hits the upright on the left side. No good. We talk about this guy's cannon leg. Can't wait to see it. Unfortunately, he misses. The Dolphins get the ball back with great field position there. They drive down the field pretty easily to set up a very short kick attempt before the half is over. They don't get it. Their kicker hits the upright. So we go into the half 7-7. The second half opens up. Jets don't score right away. The Dolphins ended up getting a big play to Mac Hollins, like a 60-yard gainer. Busted coverage. He goes down, scores quick. They're up 14-7. A couple drives later, the Jets get a big old play to Elijah Moore, who was very, very active in this game, had an awesome game, best game of his career by far. We're going to talk about him in detail later on. But that big play, 62-yarder, tie game, 14-14, stays that way until the fourth quarter. In the fourth quarter, the Dolphins start scoring more points. They get 10 their most productive quarter of the game. The Jets only get three. A field goal at the end of the game. A bad onside kick attempt that they never got back. And the Jets lose this one 17-24. That's all she wrote. There were good performances all around from the Jets. I think there's plenty of reasons to be excited. There were certainly some poor performances as well. Definitely some building blocks. But it wasn't one of those games that we've seen, such as the Falcons, such as the Colts, or the Patriots, where the Jets get dominated for the entire game. Now, we were playing a 3-7 and seven Miami Dolphins team at home. So in reality, we should be more competitive. But I think just going in with a guy like Joe Flacco, the fourth quarterback that the Jets have played this year, and trying him out in a game like this where playoffs are out of sight, quarterbacks are in flux every single week, injuries abound, playing a good game, it was still fun to watch. And it was sushi week, so the food was good. You know that. When it comes down to it, when you look at this game, I think one of the big takeaways is the whole quarterback room. And what's going on there? Because we have a very interesting situation. We have a Zach Wilson, who was the second overall pick, and we want to see as much of him as possible. He's banged up, kind of, but we don't know the real significance of the injury. We thought maybe he'd be back right about now. He's not. He's practicing, but not completely there. Robert Sala says that he's going to wait, see how Zach Wilson did at practice today. I haven't seen that report yet. But then tomorrow, he's going to make the decision on who the starting quarterback is for next week against the Texans. We've also got Mike White, who played that one game when Zach Wilson got injured as the only other real option at quarterback on the roster. Came in, had that 400-yard game in his first start. Did awesome. Beat the Bengals. Then after that, he goes down in the next game. Josh Johnson gets a chance. He does really well, but it's all garbage time and a bad loss to the Colts. Mike White gets another start. Gets a beat up by the Bills. You don't want to put him in. All of a sudden, he's like, wait, the guy that we thought was going to be great. All of a sudden, the guy... It's not really an option to play against the Dolphins because Mike White can't throw a deep ball. The Dolphins run a lot of zero blitz. They bring guys up, and they force you to get the ball deep in one-on-one coverage. Joe Flacco can do this. He's seen the blitzes throughout his career. He knows how to beat it, and he's better at throwing a long ball, even though, frankly, we didn't see a ton of long ball action in this game from him. But at least the Dolphins respect the fact that he's got that in this game. So now you can't play Mike White. You're in this weird spot where you want to play Zach Wilson, but he's played arguably the worst of any quarterback on the team so far. When you look at Mike White's big game against the Bengals, you look at Josh Johnson filling in against the Colts, and you look at Joe Flacco here against the Dolphins, arguably all of those games from those guys are better than the best game Zach Wilson had. He won a game. He did beat the Titans, leading the Jets in that. Two touchdowns, one interception, 
290 passing yards. It was a little sloppy here and there. He made it up on a couple really big plays. Completion percentage wasn't great. But in terms of, like, quarterback rating, Joe Flacco, Josh Johnson, Mike White, they've all surpassed the very best game of Zach Wilson. So you're in this weird spot where you're like, all right, are we trying to win? Are we trying to develop? Are we trying to put the best team on the field? Or or what here? Are we trying to tank? Some people may even start thinking that. The Jets team's not going to try to tank. They played Joe Flacco here to try to win, but that's not a good sign for Mike White. It means that the backup quarterback in this situation wasn't good enough in their mind to go in. That shows what they think about him. That shows why they traded for Joe Flacco to begin with. But if we're thinking about Mike White potentially making a career, what if he's that diamond in the rough franchise quarterback? After four years being cut four times, he should be wise enough, have seen enough things, studied enough, learned enough to be able to play against a team and not have to be game-planned out of a game. How often do you see a quarterback, a starting quarterback for a team, just not start a game because, oh, he doesn't really give us the best chance to win. We have another quarterback who's better against this type of team. That's not what you do. A quarterback can play or he can't. Mike White was able to do a good spot start, but I don't envision much more than that moving forward from him. I think the coaching staff kind of told you what they thought by that. But now we got Joe Flacco, who's potentially the number two quarterback on this roster. You do have a Mike White that if you wanted to roll out, you know, a dink and dunk sort of game plan, you could do that. And you got Zach Wilson trying to come back from injury. It's all going to be decided tomorrow who the starting quarterback is. But it's a lot of different, uh, you know, a lot of different things going on because Mike White dumps the ball 17 times to the running backs. Not the most fun game ever, but the most efficient game. Joe Flacco, only threw two passes to the running backs, two complete passes, gets the ball downfield. Really good repertoire with Elijah Moore. Did some really good things. Picked up the blitz as well. Got the ball out of his hands. Didn't look lost. So maybe he gives you the best chance to win on a week-in, week-out basis against a good team. But then Zach Wilson, who's looked the worst, is the guy that has the most upside, you'd hope, and the guy that you probably want to see the most. I want to see as much Zach Wilson as I can see, especially against these these Texans teams, Jaguars, Eagles, Dolphins again. We've got some easier games coming up. Those are the ones specifically I want to see him in. Do I really want to see him up against the Bills and the Buccaneers? No, because I want to see him do well, and I want to leave this year with a positive taste, taste in my mouth thinking, well, Zach Wilson's turning a corner. And these are the types of teams that potentially you can do that against, the Dolphins being one of them as well. So we'll see what the information is there, but it's a very, it's a weird spot. Jets have played four quarterbacks already. They've played 10 games. They've had three guys start. Josh Johnson essentially played a whole game, threw over 300 yards in one. And the Jets actually have, like, the ninth best passing attack in the league with all these guys mixing in because every time someone steps in, a Josh Johnson for 300 yards, a Mike White for 400, Joe Flacco this week, 290. These guys are putting up numbers. These are numbers that we don't really see from Jets quarterbacks, not consistently. Maybe one here and there, one every five weeks. The four weeks that he's been out, Zach Wilson, the Jets have been putting up big numbers. It'll be really interesting to see how the Jets navigate it moving forward. Of course, you want to put your team in a position to win, but you also want to try to develop a guy. You want to get Zach Wilson some reps. He's the team captain as voted by the team, right? They should be in favor of him being out there as well. They said all the right things when Mike White got the start. They said all the right things about Joe Cool as well. And Zach Wilson, I'm sure they'd welcome him back with open arms, and they would let him, you know, struggle and learn as the season goes on. Two and eight, who's really thinking playoffs at this point? Winning is great. Win as many games as you can still. I don't ever want to tank, but we know what this season is going to end up as. It's going to be an evaluation year. 
It was supposed to be all along, but there's always that glimmer of hope that maybe things will turn around. Maybe Zach Wilson has that Patrick Mahomes year, his rookie year. He didn't, and whatever. Here we are again. At least the draft class so far, Joe Douglas's draft class is looking awesome. Elijah Vera Tucker, not a great week this week, but he's been awesome this year. Elijah Moore getting better and better every week. This is his best week of the season. Michael Carter, he got injured, so he's going to miss a few weeks, but he had another great game, a huge carry in this game, and he just keeps getting better and better. So great draft class so far, even MC2. Got some guys from last year as well. You got to be happy with the direction of the team, the financial situation of the team, but obviously the results, 2-8. and eight. Losing to the Dolphins here, 17-24. to 24. Coming into this game, the Jets made a couple changes here. Gerard Wilson, who had played a lot of safety for the Jets last week, was actually a healthy scratch in this game. They used Elijah Riley, who hasn't played for the Jets yet, as a starting safety, ended up playing 89% of snaps. I was kind of hoping that we'd see a little bit more Sherrod Neesman in there, next to Ashton Davis, the guy that got the interception last week. But they didn't. They elected to use Elijah Riley, who for the first half of the game was almost silent. And then he kind of got in a game rhythm, I think, by the second half, Especially in that fourth quarter, he started popping up a little bit more, getting his nose in there on the tackles, being a little bit more comfortable. You could see him moving around the field better. Stroud uh, and Eastman only played one snap, so they were comfortable in this one rolling with Elijah Riley. Isaiah Dunn started the game in place of Brandon Eccles, who's currently injured. He played 99% of snaps. Gidry was the guy that came in first when Eccles went down last week. He got picked on by Stephon Diggs. A lot of people are like, well, Stephon Diggs would always beat up a guy like Javelin Gidry, a backup just coming into the game. Diggs is great. But the following week, the Jets elect to play Isaiah Dunn over Gidry. Gidry plays just five snaps in this game. So give Dunn the chance. Dunn didn't play great. I'd like to see more Jason Pinnock, who did get a few snaps in this game. Had a pass interference call that probably shouldn't have been called. I was okay with it. Robert Sala backed him up as well. But Isaiah Dunn, you know, he's not as good as Brandon Eccles, and he's not a long-term solution for the Jets until he starts to play better football. He wasn't atrocious, but he definitely was not good. Kyle Phillips. Remember that guy? undrafted free agent for the Jets a couple years ago, was injured last year, missed the whole beginning of the season, physically unable to perform. He's actually back out there. He played 39% of snaps this week, and he played well. Laurent Duvernay-Tardif, the guard that the Jets traded, the Jets picked up from, uh, oh yeah, it was a trade from the Kansas City Chiefs. Um, They traded Daniel Brown, who was a non-factor, for Laurent Duvernay-Tardif, who starts this game in place of Greg Van Roten, who we've all been kind of down on this year at right guard. We know that we need to address right guard moving forward. LDT may not be the answer. GVR also is probably not the answer, but it was nice to see a change of pace. We'll talk about the offensive line a little bit coming up. And then Quincy Williams got the start, 88% of snaps. Gerard Davis just played 12% of snaps. So we got the ones that Quincy Williams is off the field. Gerard Davis is trending down within this team, and Quincy Williams is trending up. Injuries in this game, Michael Carter got a high ankle sprain, expected to miss a few weeks. That's a bummer because this guy was running incredibly well. As much as I love Ty Johnson... As much as I like the way that Tevin Coleman runs, there's a clear difference when you see Michael Carter on the field. He's got moves, he's got juice, electricity, he doesn't go down right away, he pushes guys' hands away when they're trying to make a tackle. He's got it all. Every time you think he's going down at no yard gain, he ends up picking up three. And yeah, it's just a three yard gain, but my goodness, to keep the sticks moving forward like that, set your team up in better position, it's awesome what he does. We got to get him back out there. And he's great at pass catching. CJ Mosley was monitored for a concussion. Not his best game in this one, but he is the best player, one of the most impactful players in the entire team. I've said it that I think he's the best player on the team. I think that, you know, Bryce Hall is starting to make a name for himself and will soon be in that conversation with C.J. Mosley. 
But C.J. Mosey with the concussion, you'd like to get him back for next week against the Texans. They have to evaluate him and monitor him as the weeks, as the days go on here. I will uh, keep you guys posted. And then we're waiting on information from Akai Becton, who's potentially practicing soon. Maybe could be back practicing end of this week, sometime next week, the week after. We don't really know. It's taken a long time for him to come back. We're running out of season. We haven't seen really any Makai Becton this year. We haven't seen him next to AVT, and we're starting to wonder, what are we going to get out of this guy? Brandon Eccles, he's still out two to four weeks. We'll see when uh, we get him back. We'd obviously like to bring him because the backups so far have not proven to be as good as him. So that is what we got to start this episode. Now's the point of the episode where I would normally do a father time, but I reached out to my dad to see if we could get one for this week. Unfortunately, he's tied up with work stuff. He's on the road, unable to do it. So I said, that's perfectly fine. Get us one next week after the Jets crush the Texans, inspired, fired up about the big win, and I'm sure everybody's going to love it. It'll be missed this week, but instead, in its place, where we would normally do father time, we are going to move up to the cooler where we'll do a what's on tap. That is right. We are moving up what's on tap tap to the beginning. That means no fun in the second half of the episode, just a commercial. But today, we get to enjoy a nice New England Pale Ale by Elaborate Metaphor. And I probably oversold it because it's not that good. It's from Burlington Beer Company. It really... It's not a New England IPA. It's a New England PA. Just a pale ale. I don't really know what the difference is when you have it be imperial or not. But it's got kind of an IPA flavor. I picked this one because it's 5.4% alcohol, and I wanted something light to go to my buddy's friend's giving. I didn't want to be drinking a bunch of 7 or 8% beers, even though they taste good. It's my favorite flavor for a beer, but not necessarily the results that I want if I'm going to an 8-hour event. So I wanted something that would taste kind of like that. I'm not a big session guy, but this one's a little bit too close to like a session and a really boring New England Pale Ale. It doesn't have a ton of good flavor to it. It just has enough to make you know it's a New England IPA style with... Not much else. I guess when you're looking for 5.4% alcohol, you're only going to get so much flavor. And I shouldn't really complain because when you think about other beers that are like 5% alcohol, sometimes they just taste like water or nothing or, you know, they're dark. This is just a, a nice uh, a nice mix, I guess. I don't know, I'm not really enjoying it. I bought a four-pack of them. They're pints. Kind of expensive. Yeah. Got to get rid of them. Something I never had before. Figured I'd try it. You don't know until you try it, but yeah, did not wow me. I'm also enjoying a little cheese because I came into a ownership of a vast amount of cheese recently for various reasons. I purchased some. I doubled up on some that roommate Kyle also bought, and I shouldn't have bought it. And then I made a mac and cheese for the Friendsgiving where I had to get a crazy amount of weird cheeses for this thing. You couldn't really taste them in there, but I had to get like three different specialty cheeses. And they're asking me for, you know, two cups of shredded cheese and Three cups of this one for shredded cheese. And I'm looking at a block wondering, I have no idea how many of these things I need to make a few cups of shredded cheese. So I bought too much. Now I've got all those. Right now I'm eating a double creamed brie. I'm eating a little Dubliner. I got some rosemary car crackers. And every once in a while when I have to step away from the microphone and pause it real quick, I enjoy one of those. So that's what's going on in the background for a what's on snack. And that's it for today. Not super exciting, but you know. That's my life on a Tuesday night. So now, back to the episode, but first, we need to take a quick commercial break. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. 
That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not as uh, simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Alrighty, and welcome back to This is the Jet Life. Next order of business is kind of breaking down this game at a deeper level. We're going to start with the team stats, then do player performances, offense, defense, special teams. We're going to close it out with an AFC East check-in, some draft nuggets about the upcoming draft as at 2-8, and eight, our focus becomes more and more towards the draft every single week, unfortunately. And then we're going to preview the Texans game and get out of here. So start with the team stats. Jets-Dolphins, of course, they lose 17-24 to 24 in this one. When you look at the stats, super even across the board. Time of possession goes to Miami, and they had us beaten in every single category by just a little bit. You know, 388 total yards for the Dolphins. Jets had 380. They had 20 first downs. We had 18. They had 115 rushing yards. We had 102. But they got just enough done. A lot of it, like I said, was timely play in this one. Timely defensive plays. The Jets had an opportunity in uh, inside the 15-yard line with Joe Flacco. Maybe he was even on the 5-yard line. And he got sacked on the back by the safety from the Dolphins. Fumbled the ball. They picked it up. The guy that picked it up fumbled it. They picked it up again. And they got out of that without the Jets scoring. Jets also missed two big field goals in this game. So you're potentially talking about 13 points off the board for the Jets there. Put them at 30. Of course, the Dolphins had their fair share of mistakes in this game as well, which would have kept them from potentially scoring more points. But when it's all said and done, it was a very even match across the board. The Jets lose by one score. And, you know, Jets were in this game 7 for 14 on third down, 50%. So we're seeing much better third down efficiency. And you know the big reason when you look at third down efficiency this year versus last year? Because that was one of the big hammering points last year was just how freaking bad the Jets were on third down. When you look at it, the Jets were like, you know, 3 for 12, 5 for 18 on third downs. And this year they're closer to like 40%, 50%, sometimes over that. And the reason be, last year we were rushing Frank Gore or Le'Veon Bell or somebody right up the middle for one yard on first down, then doing it again on second down for one more yard. And we were consistently in these third and eight, third and nine situations. God forbid we get a penalty and it's like third and 19 or third and 18. The Jets weren't picking those up, especially not with the quarterback play they had. This year, with a little bit more confident quarterback play, a little bit better players around, and consistently you know, better runs from guys like Michael Carter, who's getting the lion's share, The Jets are getting, you know, third and fours, third and threes, third and twos this year, and they're actually able to pick those up. So we're seeing much more efficiency from the Jets overall in their gameplay. That said, it's not leading to a ton of points, certainly not leading to wins. They still need to improve on everything else, but it is nice to see an improvement this year from the Adam Gase regime when they were not good on third down whatsoever. So the Dolphins win this game. The Jets had uh, a few more passing yards, and the Dolphins actually 278 to 273. I think one of the big issues in this game was the Jets did not sack Tua Tungabailoa a single time. They did at one point bring him down, but there was a hold on the defense. I think that was the Jason Pinnock penalty. It was called back. Quinn Williams would have had a half a sack there. They didn't get a sack. The Dolphins had two. It was only two sacks. Lost 13 yards. But when the Jets can't get any, we only forced one turnover. Just not enough splash plays to win it on defense. The Dolphins had a couple more to get out of the drives, and it ended up winning the game for them. So you go to the player performances in this game, starting on offense. We could start with Joe Flacco at quarterback. He did an all right job. You know, the guy had 101 quarterback rating in this game. He was 24 for 39 for 291 yards, two touchdowns, no interceptions, sacked two times. It wasn't a super efficient game because he didn't score a lot early. They moved down and they got a field goal at the end of the game. I mean, really, it was like 14 points through 
four quarters essentially is what we got. So it wasn't like we were moving the ball down the field a ton, but they were doing enough to make it competitive and to keep the game interesting. Elijah Moore had a big 62-yarder to help him out to give him one of those touchdowns. They went for it on fourth down after not being able to get it on first, second, or third. So it's kind of a mixed bag from Joe because he did end up getting that output. It did remain a close game, but it wasn't consistent and early enough, and it came in a few big chunk spots. There were a few other opportunities where you wish he got some back. wasn't always necessarily on him. I think one of the biggest things, we talked about the Michael Carter injury, the high ankle sprain that's going to keep him out for a few weeks. That was a huge killer in this game. He was at 63 yards on nine carries. That's seven yards per attempt. His most efficient game by far of the season. A lot of that came because he had a 39-yard run. A big-time 39-yard run that set the Jets up for a score. And Michael Carter was running out of his mind, and he left the game you know, about midway through. We went to Tevin Coleman and Ty Johnson. Only ran six times at those guys combined. So I really, truly believe that if Michael Carter remained in this game with the way that he was running in this game, the Jets would have won. He was such an integral part of that offense. He was going to get his career-high rushing yards in a game for sure, and who knows what he would have done. Over 100 yards for the first time? Very possible. I think so. Probably would have helped the Jets win this game. Unfortunately, that's just kind of been the way this Jets season has gone. We mentioned Tevin Coleman got a few carries, five carries for 16 yards. Ty Johnson got one for five yards. We did have a nice run from Elijah Moore for 15 yards in this game, but his real impact was felt in the receiving game where he had his career-high eight receptions, his career-high receiving yards, 141, another touchdown this week, and then a combined 155 yards from scrimmage. This is a crazy good game from him. It was the longest Jets rookie reception, that 62-yarder, since 2006 when Leon Washington did it. It was the most receiving yards by a Jets rookie since Rob Moore in 1990 when he had, like, 175. In the past four games, the games without Zach Wilson, Elijah Moore has 24 receptions, 336 receiving yards, and four touchdowns in the four games without Zach Wilson. Now, I don't know if it's because Elijah Moore is getting better, if it's because these guys have learned how to use Elijah Moore, the offensive coordinator's trying to get him more involved, or Zach Wilson just didn't like to look his way. Not exactly sure what it is. All I know is right now, regardless of who's playing between Josh Johnson, Mike White, and Joe Flacco, Elijah Moore is on freaking fire. Led the team in targets with 11. Pulled in eight of those. Great game from Elijah Moore. He is trending up big time. When we talk about evaluation years like this, when the Jets are 2-8, and eight, there's nothing more important than your young players doing well. Because if... When it's all said and done, the players that are, like, the best on the team are the Morgan Moseses and Joe Flacco's and a bunch of older veterans. You know, maybe Vinnie Curry was playing, and he was leading the team in the charge, and it's Sheldon Rankins. If those are the guys that are truly the glue and the people holding the team together as bad as it is, then you're not in great shape for next year. But when you've got guys like Michael Carter, Michael Carter II, Bryce Hall, you've got Elijah Moore, hopefully one day Denzel Mims, we'll see, hopefully Zach Wilson. When you got those guys leading the charge, a bunch of them, a good handful, that is your future core. You don't need a core of 30 players. You need a nice, solid core of seven, eight guys. And the Jets have added three or four this year already. They added a couple last year as well. They've got another draft with a ton of assets coming up. You have to be very excited. Elijah Moore right now is leading that charge. Really wish Michael Carter was still playing. Um, didn't have that high ankle sprain because sky's the limit for him as well. It seems like the more times he gets the ball, the better he gets. I liked him by week one, week two. I was like, yeah, he's pretty good. By week four, I'm like, he is maybe the best running back on the team. By week six, I knew it. By week 10, here, I'm like, he's one of the better running backs in the league. I'm so glad that we have him. 
for a long time. We're going to build this team around him. Now he's out going to miss multiple weeks. Hopefully he comes back healthy and close the year out strong and give us a little bit more, you know, fire and inspiration before the season ends. Crowder, he had six catches. Good for those uh, short yarders. Only a 7.3 average. Only had 44 yards. But he had that touchdown on the fourth and one. And, you know, he caught six of seven targets. So good game from him. Very efficient. Ryan Griffin had one of his best games of the year. 39 yards on three catches. That big 29-yarder where he snuck down the left sideline. Got a big gainer. That was nice to see. He also made a nice play on special teams and had some other opportunities. He actually, on a squib kick, picked it up and ran back to like the 50-yard line. Had a nice little return there, but it was called back for a penalty on the Jets, of course. Corey Davis, a little quiet in this one. Three catches for 35 yards. Targeted seven times. So the second most targets in the team, but only 35 yards and only three catches. It's not super efficient from him. We were seeing very, very good Corey Davis play when Zach Wilson was playing quarterback. A lot of people were complaining that Zach Wilson was forcing the ball to Corey Davis too much. A lot of those interceptions came on passes shoved into Corey Davis, either off target or on target and tipped where Corey Davis wasn't ready or whatever. It was forced into Corey Davis when he was covered too hard. Since he was injured, came back, he hasn't really found his rhythm yet and gotten back into that, uh, you know, Pro Bowl level form what I think he is. I think he's one of the better receivers in the league, honestly, the way that he's big, strong, fast. He's got a little bit of everything. He's not perfect at one thing, but you can trust him to do a lot. Does he make mistakes here and there? Yeah. He fumbled a ball last week. Does he drop some here and there? Yeah. All wide receivers do every once in a while. But he brings a lot more to the table. He's got a confidence. The way he moves with the ball, it's just trying to find a way to get it to him and the matchups that he gets. Because if he's going to get man defense from a really good cornerback on the other team, a guy like a Xavier Howard or even a Byron Jones, you know, good DBs in the Dolphins, it may be difficult for him to get away at times like that. But when he gets a good matchup or you have a guy like Elijah Moore on fire, eight receptions for 141, and all of a sudden you're playing a team that's like, shoot, maybe we got to take away the this guy, then Corey Davis gets a little bit more opportunity. So this whole thing, I think, is going to work together. Everybody's had their chance in the sun. Corey Davis was the guy early. Elijah Moore is the guy more recently now. Keelan Cole is the other player that you'd like to see mixed in. No catches. Got one target, didn't bring it down. Berrios, nothing there. We had one target for Coleman, one target for Carter. Both brought in two-yard gains. We had a one-yard, one catch for Ty Johnson, eight yards there. So a combined three targets, three catches, and 12 yards in the running back group, which is not what we've been seeing from Mike White, certainly. And then he had a Nick Bauden catch. Nick Bauden is the fullback that was brought up from the practice squad to come in here because Trevon Wesco can't do his job. And the guy gets a 20-yarder. A nice big play downfield, and I think that all of us were kind of like holding our our breath when he got hit because it was a big hit on the side of him, and it was just like, oh, my God, it looked like he was about to fumble the ball. Maybe he held on to it cleanly, but the way that he got hit and the lack of him getting the football, it just felt like he was about to fumble it. He didn't, so thank goodness. Whatever, nice to see him on the few snaps that he played make an impact like that, exciting for him to get a catch. But what it really means to me is that Trevon Wesco should be our doghouse player of the game. I'd love to give Matt Amendola the doghouse player of the game because I'm tired of him missing kicks. He's not horrible, but he's just not good enough. But this is on Trevon Wesco right now. Trevon Wesco, when you look at him, what a disappointment. This guy was a fourth-round pick from West Virginia in 2019, right? This is his third season. He's had ample opportunities within this team. They had him at tight end, didn't do great there. He was supposed to be a little baby Gronk. Some people were saying that. I've never seen it. I don't know how you could think that. They tried to move him to fullback. Maybe he'd be a little bit better suited as a fullback, and he can kind of go into this role. 
He's been doing that for more than a year now. Still no good there. They're getting a guy from the practice squad named Bodden, who's just coming up here. Really no NFL experience that's worthwhile. Replacing Trevon Wesco. We get rid of Daniel Brown, have a Tyler Croft on IR. Chris Herndon is gone. So all of a sudden, all you have for tight ends really is Ryan Griffin and then Trevon Wesco. And what do they do? They bring up Nick Bodden and stop playing Wesco. It's crazy how little he's done. He has 16 yards receiving this year. Last year, he had one catch for five yards in 12 games. 68 receiving yards in his career, five career receptions. I mean, Nick Bodden had more receiving yards in this game than Wesco all year. I mean, the past two years combined, Wesco's got 21 yards. Bodden had 20 on one catch. It just is such a bad sign for Wesco. This guy is not going to last long. The team tried him at tight end, didn't work. We've got no other tight ends there. He's still not getting playing time. We tried him at fullback, didn't work. We brought up a guy from the practice squad to do it instead of him. If not now, then when for Wesco? He's gone through two coaching staffs, three seasons, two positions. It hasn't worked out. And when you see a guy like Bodden come out here and have a more impactful play than Wesco's had in his entire career, it's a huge red flag. And honestly, the guys do $1.1 million as a cap hit for next season. you got like $100,000 of dead cap next year. I can't rationalize a million dollars for Trevon Wesco and what he brings. Now would be the time. With Croft out, Kerndon traded, Daniel Brown traded, Yaboa hasn't seen the field yet. This would be the time that Wesco would be able to do anything. But we're not getting it. So Trevon Wesco is our doghouse player of the game. We may not see much more of him as a New York Jet or even in the NFL. He is the new Jason Morrow. So now we're going to move over to the defensive side of the ball. We got rid of that doghouse player of the game, so we don't have to talk about that again. Thank goodness. Let's go to defense. Let's start in the trenches, where I was very impressed with a lot of the play from these guys. I know we only had no sacks, and we only had a couple tackles for loss, a couple QB hits, but there was good pressure from that defensive line, and for the most part, they stopped the Dolphins' running attack pretty well. The Dolphins, they averaged 3.5 yards per rush. They ran the ball 33 times for a total of 115 yards, but they did a pretty good job. It was led by Quinn and Williams, who was nice in the run game, had a couple pressures, Kyle Phillips, who's back on the Jets playing now, was very good in the run game. Now, he's not a guy that gets after the passer very often, Kyle Phillips, but he does play the run game well. And I think he brings a little bit more to the team than a guy like Tim Ward, Ronnie Blair, who's been playing a little bit more now, and maybe brings as much as a guy like Shaq Lawson. Kyle Phillips makes a lot less. He's younger. He's got some opportunity to come. And I think that just adding him into the rotation there is a good thing for the Jets team. So I was very pleased to see Kyle Phillips. Of course, he's not going to be that defensive lineman that's going to make a big pass rush impact, but he can help in the run game. It's just nice to have one more guy in there. Keep in mind, we're already losing a Carl Lawson. We're missing a Vinnie Curry. You know, there's supposed to be other people on this defensive line to help. Getting one back at this point in the season is a nice thing. I was also pretty impressed with uh, a couple plays here and there from Foley Fadakasi. Sheldon Rankin's got his presence felt here and there. Overall, Tua was under pressure a decent amount of times. The fact that he didn't get sacked kind of shocking. He played it pretty well. He found the soft spots in the zone. He got the ball to his receiver's hands on short passes or intermediate passes when he could, and a good game from him. He did do pretty well beating the pressure. JFM actually led the team six pressures on Tua. Uh, didn't get a sack in this game. Had a couple nice plays. Had a bad penalty, a really bad personal foul, um, but the six pressures was nice to see from JFM. I'd like to see him close on him, get a sack. You know, he's paid a lot of money now. What, $12 million or something now, so we got to see a little bit more from him, but at least he was getting big pressures here. 
Then you go to the linebackers. C.J. Mosley left this game with a concussion. He obviously is extremely important to this team. We absolutely need him against the Texans and against everybody else. That said, this was one of the more underwhelming C.J. Mosley games that we've seen all season. He wasn't hitting with a lot of aggression. He wasn't driving people back. He didn't seem as confident moving on the field and wrapping guys up as he usually does. Usually he's like, you know, a, a sticky glove. The second a guy gets the ball, he finds him. He gets there really quick. And the second he holds on, he doesn't let go. Guy goes down. This game, people were squirting away. He was missing tackles. I think he got stiff-armed once. And he just didn't look like usual C.J. Mosley. Quincy Williams, on the other hand, he had a really good game. Quincy Williams is ascending. He's getting better. He definitely has some weaknesses still, a raw player. But he tackles really hard. He plays well on special teams when he plays there. In this game, he led the team in tackles with 15 total tackles, 10 of them solo. Next most in the team in ta- with tackles is 8, C.J. Mosley and Bryce Hall. He also led the team with tackles for a loss with two. And the hits that he gives are just so powerful that it can really send a message to a team. You saw him crush Gesicki on one play, crush a couple other guys here and there. One thing about him is he's not necessarily fast enough. We have some of the slower linebackers in the league. It was kind of Robert Sala's MO to come into this year and get faster linebackers, kind of like get to the point of the ball, get to the kill zone, that's why we got a bunch of safeties like Jamie and Sherwood and Hamza Nasraldine moved them into linebacker to try to transition them to be super fast linebackers. Instead, we kind of have slow linebackers, some of the slowest in the league. We do have to kind of work on that. I think that the Jets will be focusing on linebacker in free agency in the draft next year, but you still have to be excited with Quincy Williams' ascension, whether it's to be a starter for the Jets moving forward, a starter for another team, or a good role piece for the Jets. Either way, you're happy to see it for sure. Gerard Davis, he's like MIA, and Delshawn Phillips is the guy that came in for C.J. Mosley when he went down. He's had, you know, he won a defensive player of the game for the Jets this year with a nice sack. He has played some for the Jets. Um, He's not a complete no-name, but you want C.J. Mosley to pass concussion protocol and be good to go against the Texans because he's definitely an upgrade over Delshawn Phillips. When you look at the defensive backfield, I want to start with cornerback. I am so impressed with the way that Bryce Hall is playing. He had another outstanding game. In this game, he allowed just three receptions for 14 yards and no first downs. On top of that, he made really nice tackles and showed great pursuit tackling in the short pass game and the screen game. And this guy's just overall having an awesome season, completely underrated. He doesn't get enough credit for what he does. Um, I think that because the Jets' defense has been so bad, because we play that zone so he's not like in man-to-man situations, he hasn't had that like really good matchup for a game where he shot a guy down and put the league on blast, doesn't get a ton of turnovers or interceptions. But at the end of the day, week in, week out, he is by far the best Jets defensive back. He's one player of the game once this year. We don't give him enough credit because he is so quiet. It's hard to tell in a zone defense where he's not moving necessarily with a number one receiver just what his impact is. But when you look back and you watch this game again and you really focus on Bryce Hall, as I did, it is extremely evident that he was the best player on the field for the Jets on defense this game. He wins Jets defensive player of the game. And he is, you know, in his second year, this guy, a fifth-round pick. This is great what we're seeing from Bryce Hall. He's the type of guy that you can build a defensive backfield around. You just need to get a couple more pieces. Obviously, another safety, another cornerback for sure. But he is one piece that you can feel very, very confident in moving forward. Super young. We're going to have him for a long time. When you look at the other cornerbacks, I didn't love what I saw from Isaiah Dunn. Michael Carter was okay. It wasn't a great game from Tua, but he did beat the zone. It's not always on the defensive backs. It's sometimes on the scheme. It's sometimes on the play calling. It's a mixture of both. Dunn was definitely the worst of them all. I'd like to see a little bit more Pinnock. I think that 
from what I've seen, I really haven't been pissed off at Pinnock yet. Maybe I'm biased because going into this year, I was very excited about Jason Pinnock. I've been thinking he should get more opportunities. They're bringing in guys like Wild Goose and, and you know, I Elijah Riley, and they're bringing in Isaiah Dunn, and we're not getting a lot of opportunities for Pinnock. But I think that when he's out there, which has been, at this point, like 40 snaps this year, he's actually looked all right. Penalty that he had this game on the tight end. Robert Sala defended him as well. He was aggressive, but it didn't look to be a penalty. It shouldn't have been called. The Jets would have had a sack there. Big defensive play. And, uh, you know, what can you do? Can't uh, change it now. But I'd like to see a little bit more Pinnock, especially if a guy like Isaiah Dunn continues to struggle and Brandon Eccles is on IR. It's worth evaluating new guys. Safety. Ashton Davis, it was a pretty good game. He didn't play amazing. He's not perfect in coverage. He still gets lost at times in coverage. He's not the greatest tackler in the world, but he did make some nice tackles in this game. He looks like he's getting a little bit more confident in coming into the box to tackle running backs, and he had that nice interception. So he's actually had a forced fumble a couple weeks ago. When you look through like the last three weeks, it's arguably his best three-game stretch as a New York Jet. I think that he's not there at all. I don't think that he's necessarily a starting caliber safety, but I do think that he's trending in the right direction right now. You know, he maybe went from like a, a D plus to a C or maybe like a C minus to a C plus. No, he's not ready to start yet, but he can continue growing that. And as the year goes on, he's got seven more games. And if he keeps playing well, now that Marcus May's not there, LaMarcus Joyner's not there, he's going to have ample opportunity. I mean, you're bringing up a new guy each week to play safety next to him. He's the mainstay. He's going to be able to show what he's got. And if he makes a couple more nice plays, he's going to have a spot on this team. If he doesn't, I'm going to be kind of in that boat of like, listen, Ashton Davis can't be playing all that much for us. When you look at Elijah Riley, who's next to him playing his first game with the Jets, it wasn't a, a particularly noteworthy game. He was, in my opinion, silent for the first half, maybe even three quarters. But I think that by that final fourth quarter, he did start to make an impact, did start to make a few tackles. You know, he didn't make a lot of serious mistakes, I guess, that you saw from guys like Sheldrick Redwine. Maybe you saw from Jared Wilson in coverage here and there, even Adrian Colbert. But is he the guy? No. I mean, we're just going through these players, asking them to play in a zone, giving them somewhat easy assignments, and hoping they don't mess up. Elijah Riley, you know, he was the newest guy to do it. We'll see how long he holds on to that position for, or if they give somebody else a chance there. We're going to move over to special teams, but first we do have to take a quick commercial break. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. All righty, and welcome back. Let's talk special teams, starting with the Jets kicker, Matt Amendola. And... You may already know, I've not been a fan of Matt Amendola since we got him, really. I've tried. At times, he's made a kick, and I'm like, all right, maybe he's trending up. But at the end of the day, I didn't want him to be our kicker going into this year. And at this point, through 10 games, I am not satisfied with his kicking ability whatsoever. He's kicking under 70% on the air. 68.8% is his field goal percentage, 11 for 16. Right? He's 9 for 9, under 39 yards. But over that, he's 2 for 7. 
He's made two for four between 40 and 49 yards. He's 0 for three over 50 yards. And the big selling point on Matt Amendola was not his accuracy necessarily. It was his big kicking power. The guy's got a rocket leg and can kick from anywhere. But at the end of the day, if you're missing all of your kicks from over 50 yards, all you're doing is giving the other team good field position. I don't even want to have the confidence that, ooh, Matt Amendola can maybe make this 55-yarder if he's just going to miss it every single time and give them good field position. I'd rather have a guy that can only kick from 49 yards and in but will make it every single time. That would be better to me because at least you can know you get the points. You know when to go for it. You know when to punt it. But him, he's just like this wild card of maybe he can kick it from anywhere, but he never really does. And Now he's under 70% kicking. And in this game, he missed two kicks. A 55-yarder, a long one, sure, but he hit the upright as he's always to the left. If he makes it, it's barely. If he misses it, it's usually to the left. And he missed from 40. And if the Jets had made those two kicks, they would maybe maybe be able to win this game. It would be a completely different situation had the Jets made those two kicks. They could have gone for two. At a, there was a lot of opportunities for the Jets. And those two kicks came back to bite them for sure. Matt Amendola simply is not cutting it. I'd love to make him doghouse the player of the game. I already gave it to Trevon Wesco because when it's all said and done, Matt Amendola will have more opportunities to kick this year because he's the Jets kicker. Trevon Wesco, I'm not sure how many more opportunities he's really going to get. How many more looks he's going to get, snaps on the field, I'm sure he'll get some. But how often is a play going to be designed for him? Maybe not so many. Not nearly as many as Matt Amendola. So he can still come out of this. He can kick his way out. If he closes the year 9 for 10 and makes a couple long ones, I'll change my tune. I'll say maybe he was just getting acclimated. But right now, he's what I thought he'd be, inconsistent, and that's not what you want in a kicker. When you look at the punting game, I was super impressed with Braden Mann. He is our special teams player of the game. He did have one long kick opportunity that was not very good. I used to know him as a guy that kicked the ball really far, further than punters that we've had for many years, but not very good at getting the ball inside the 10-yard line. In this game, it was the opposite. He did not have a rocket leg on the one opportunity to kick far, but the other three, inside the 10. Beautiful placement kicks. And I haven't seen him with that much control and ability to kind of lightly get it in there since he's been with the Jets and now he comes back from injury and he's done it consistently in the two games. I'm super impressed with the way that he's punting. If he can just get that power back in his leg and add that on with being able to get it inside the 10 comfortably, that little precision and touch, then we're going to have one of the better punters in the league. And Lord knows with this team, the Jets need a good punter. Talk about the return game. Barrios had a decent return. Tevin Coleman, he was all right as well. Nothing too noteworthy in that. Uh, Braxton Barrios was... A little sketchy on the punt returns. He got touched by one guy from the Dolphins on one where the guy impeded the zone a little bit, but he was, like, sliding to the right when he caught it. And on another one, he was sliding to the left when he caught it. It wasn't seeing him completely clearly, but he didn't end up fumbling any of them. A fine game from Braxton Berrios. That is what we got from our special teams. Now we have to check in on the AFC East. Of course, the Dolphins beat the Jets 24-17. The Dolphins are now 4-7. and They are in third place in the... AFC East, the Jets are 2-8. and eight. They are in last place in the AFC East. Dolphins' next game is going to be home against the Panthers Sunday at 1 p.m. This is an interesting one because we want the Panthers to lose. We have their second and fourth round pick. We also want the Dolphins to lose because they're the Dolphins. So it's kind of like whatever you want in this one. Maybe a tie would be good. I don't know. Whatever's most important, you watching your rivals lose or getting a slightly better draft pick in the mid-rounds, it's up to you. But... Uh, There will be some implications for the Jets in that game one way or the other. The Bills lost. Another crazy game for the Bills where they lose to the Colts 15-41. 
This is the same team that ran all over us with Jonathan Taylor. They did the exact same thing against the Buffalo Bills. The Bills are now 6-5, and five, and the weird thing is they're in second place in the AFC East. The Patriots have moved into first place with this Bills loss and their win. The Bills' next game is on Thursday Night Football at New Orleans, 8.20 p.m. So that's a Thanksgiving Day game. We're going to watch the Bills play against the Saints. We will root for the Bills to lose. When it's all said and done, uh, I would rather the Bills win and the Patriots lose and the Bills win the division. Maybe the Patriots don't even make the playoffs at all or they get like a bad seed and a tough first game. I don't want to root for the Bills ever, but I would certainly rather it be the Bills and the Patriots, so you interpret that how you will. We will watch what happens. But the Patriots, they beat the Falcons on Thursday Night Football 25-0. to zero. That game was ridiculous. The defense for the Patriots is starting to get really good. Their running game is really good. Super efficient running the football. They're 7-4 and four now. First in the AFC East. Their next game is home versus the Tennessee Titans Sunday at 1 p.m. The Titans, they just lost to the Texans. And while they were able to kind of mask it for a week or two without Derrick Henry, without Julio Jones, without Derrick Henry, I don't think that team really has enough gas to beat the New England Patriots. But it is Mike Vrabel. He was an ex-linebacker from that team. He knows what they're going to try to do to some extent. He is familiar with them, so maybe he can dial something good up. But I just, the Patriots are rolling right now. That defense is so freaking stout, and that running game is good. It would be very difficult for the Titans to win on this one, the confidence the Patriots have. We'll see what happens. Crazier things have happened this year for sure. So going over like the draft, with a 2-8 and eight record, the Jets are getting closer and closer to draft talk right now. I haven't started any of my draft research. Actually, I take that back. On the Friendsgiving Saturday was the very first game that I started asking like, hey, who's the best player on this team to try to get a feel for who the players are in college football. I usually start learning them around bowl time and then after the season's over, throughout the summer when there's no football on, I just watch tons of tape on like the top 150 prospects, at least for the positions that I'm interested in for the Jets. But uh, kind of starting to get my wheels turning in that regard now. This is the time as bowl games are coming up. But the Jets currently right now, they would be drafting number two overall with this 2-8 and eight record. And this is a big defensive draft. We know that the Jets have put a lot of emphasis on the offensive side of the ball. And rightfully so, they added AVT, Elijah Moore, and Michael Carter, which could change everything for the Jets' offense, and Zach Wilson which potentially could change the entire Jets' offense for years to come. They do need to do a little bit more work on offense, maybe another running back, definitely a tight end or two, a right guard for sure, and maybe a wide receiver. So there's definitely some work to do on offense still, but when it comes down to where the priorities are going to be, the defensive side of the ball has been neglected to get the offensive side right. Now that the trenches are getting a little more shored up, and they've actually got some playmakers, some young guys there that are growing within the team, they can feel comfortable going to the defensive side of the ball. And this draft is very defensive Focused, defense focused. You got some uh, really good edge rushers. You got some good cornerbacks, some good safeties, linebackers. You name it. Way better on the defensive side of the ball, which actually is going to aid well to the Jets and what they're trying to do and build this team more well-rounded now. So excited for that. Uh, the Seahawks. We have their first-round draft pick in that Jamal Adams trade, which is looking better and better for the Jets every single week. They lose to the Cardinals, thirteen to twenty-three. They're now three and seven, which is also a horrible record, and that would be the sixth overall pick in the draft. They have an easier sort of schedule coming up. Russell Wilson's back from injury, so we need to see what the Seahawks do. But as many games as they could possibly lose, the better for us. Their next game is against the Washington football team on Monday Night Football at 8-15. So hopefully we can see the Seahawks continue to lose and continue to get better draft positioning for the Jets. The Panthers, that's the team we have their second and fourth round pick. They lost to the Washington football team 21-27 this week. So potentially the Washington football team could beat the Panthers and Seahawks in back-to-back weeks. 
and we could be big Washington football Taylor Heineke fans. It's fine with me. Panthers now 5-6. and six. Their next game is going to be against the Dolphins Sunday at 1 p.m. That's that weird game. Pick who you want to win. The Panthers are currently the 12th worst record in the NFL. We have their second and fourth round picks, as I mentioned. We also have the Steelers' fifth round pick from the Avery Williamson trade way back when, believe it or not. We also have the Vikings' fourth round pick from the Chris Herndon trade. So if you really want to start getting crazy, you can start looking at the Steelers and where they finish and the Vikings and where they finish. And yeah, technically, if the Vikings and Steelers lose, we will get slightly better draft positioning in the fourth and fifth rounds. Not necessarily that important because everybody's competing you know, the first overall pick, everybody knows who to get. The second overall pick, for the most part, there's a consensus on who to get. That stays that way for, like, the top 10, maybe, and then it starts to get more and more all over the place and spread out. By the time you get to, like, the fourth round, guys are all over the place with their boards, and there are very few players that are consensus best guys at pick number 116. That said, earlier is always better. Just in case you have a guy on your board, somebody else takes him first. So you can pay attention to that if you'd like. One more thing to note is that in the trade for Joe Flacco with the Eagles, we traded a sixth-round pick, but that pick can become a fifth-round pick in next year's draft if Joe Flacco plays 50% or more of the snaps in four games. He's definitely played 50% of the snaps this week against the Dolphins. We're talking offensive snaps, not total game snaps. Um, He played 100% this week. If he plays next week, if they end up shutting Zach Wilson down or moving away from Zach Wilson, it's essentially going to become a fifth-round pick. If Zach Wilson can come back and be healthy, I imagine he would keep the job for the remainder of the year, and that would just be the sixth-round pick. But I highly doubt that would impact how Joe Douglas or Robert Sala would you know, play the quarterback position, but you never know. Crazier things have happened. So then the last order of business, just to break down the upcoming game against the Texans, this is going to be in Houston Sunday, 1 p.m. This is, like, obviously, like, the worst possible game you could have on the schedule. Two and eight Jets versus two and eight Texans. The Jets are actually two and a half point underdogs, I guess because they're playing in Houston and we don't know who our quarterback is going to be for this game. And Michael Carter's out. When it comes down to it, I don't care if it's Flacco, Mike White, or Zach Wilson. I think I'd be just as happy with them over Davis Mills or Terod Taylor. And I think the Jets team overall, even without Michael Carter, is just way better than the Texans. And I think the Jets are going to beat them. And You know, call me crazy. Why would I have any faith in this Jets team to beat anybody? I've picked them to win plenty of times. I thought they'd beat the Dolphins. I said 24-19, Jets would win. They lose 24-17, so it was a little bit uh, different than I thought. But the Jets should beat the Texans. I really think they should. It's going to be not the most uh, exciting game. We will have the worst announcing group you could possibly have for CBS because there's no chance they give us anything but the, what, F squad, G squad, Whatever lowest letter they have for that slate of games, that's who we're getting. So it's probably going to be annoying listening to uh, James Lofton or something like that. Chris Spielman, I don't remember who the bottom end CBS announcers are. I should know, considering how many times we get that slate. But the Jets should be able to win this game. And when you look at their offense, the Texans' offense versus the Jets' defense, a couple things you look at. They got two quarterbacks, Davis Mills and Terod Taylor. It may be Terod Taylor because Davis Mills was struggling and Tyrod Taylor was injured, but then... Taylor came back and then played this last week. Um, They're both very average. Neither one really scares you. They both can throw the ball. They both, you know, they both played a number of games. It's not like it's an undrafted guy playing his first game or something. It's not a Luke Falk situation, but it's not anybody that should scare you. Their rushing attack without Mark Ingram now, their best guys are David Johnson, Phillip Lindsay. I mean, they're running under three yards per carry from their running back room currently. That's horrible. Passing game is basically all Brandon Cooks, who's got 659 yards, 
only two touchdowns. But the next most receiving yards in the team, Chris Conley and Nico Collins both have like about 200 yards. So it's really Brandon Cooks and then Conley and Nico Collins way below that. They've been sacked 26 times, which is a 7.5% rate. So sacked on 7.5% of plays. If you want to compare that to the Jets, the Jets are 6.3%. So they do get sacked a little bit more often than the Jets per drop back attempt. So nothing scary on that side of the ball. Of course, the Jets defense plays the soft zone. And if you know how to beat it and you know where to throw and the quarterback is comfortable, it's very easy to dice up. It's very easy to pick up on third and six when the guy just gives an open spot in the middle of the field to the tight end or the wide receiver running a short route. Of course, that happens. We've seen it time and time again. But when it comes to big plays and their likelihood of happening, this is not the team to be breaking big runs, getting yards after contact, yards after catch. It's just not that dangerous. When you talk Texans defense versus Jets offense, Texans defense highlighted by their best pass rusher, Jonathan Greenard, who leads the team with seven sacks, playing only seven games. He's missed the last few games. Missed the most recent one against the Titans. He was questionable going into that one, didn't play. He's questionable right now against the Jets. Uh, this is going to be a big one to watch because seven sacks in seven games is a very, very good number. This guy's 24 years old, playing great football for them, one of their best young players. If he plays, we got to watch out for him, make sure that we stop him because, you know, after him, they got a couple guys with three sacks, but nothing like what Jonathan Greenard's doing. We got to figure out whether or not this guy's playing. If not, way easier for the Jets. If he is, he could be potentially a problem for us. They have a slightly above average pass defense and a below average run defense. Their defensive backfield is actually pretty good. They got Desmond King, Terrence Mitchell, and then they got safeties Justin Reed and Lonnie Johnson. So they definitely have a better defensive backfield than front. They only have like Zach Cunningham and Jonathan Greener that I'm really impressed with in their front part of that defense. Again, this is one of the worst teams in the league. The Texans should be probably on paper the worst team. They were sellers at the trade deadline. They got even worse. And coming into this year, I think they were considered to be the worst. The Jets should be able to pull this game off, be it Mike White, Zach Wilson, or Joe Flacco. Joe Flacco probably gives the Jets the best chance to win. Zach Wilson is the guy I want to see play. I think I'm confident in Zach Wilson. I, there's been a lot going into it because Zach Wilson hasn't played great this year, right? When you look at his games, you look at his stats, performances and whatnot, super inconsistent, can't make short throws. I get it. But the big thing was like, all right, he's sitting on the bench for four games. He's watching guys just dump off, specifically Mike White, just dump off to the running back, get 400 yards passing by throwing the ball three yards at a time. When you start to see that stuff, it's kind of like when Sam Darnold sat and watched Josh McCown and said, I learned so much sitting out those games, just seeing it, the offense operated by somebody different. This is the first time that Zach Wilson's actually watched the offense successfully operated by not one, but three different quarterbacks. I do believe that he works hard enough, is smart enough, and ready and capable enough to learn from those guys. And when he comes back and plays, he's going to do awesome. I actually told my dad, we're getting a little fired up talking about this whole thing. And I said, dad, if Zach Wilson plays, he's going to beat the Texans by 20 points. Write that down. So my dad did. Crazy to say, but you know what? I'm going to stick with it. I believe in Zach Wilson. I know that we're missing some big guys, but the Jets are due for a big game. Zach Wilson has been itching to go, learning a ton. He's got that dynamic arm. We're playing the worst team in the league arguably, them or the Jaguars, really, you'd have to think, or maybe us. I don't know. I could never say that. Someone else probably would. But I'm going to go with that. If not, I mean, like a safe bet for this game, if we were playing a, you know, if you told me you have to just make a bet regardless of who's playing quarterback, I'd say Jets win probably 24-16 to would be like a safe bet for a Joe Flacco or Mike White game. 
But give me Zach Wilson. Give me that 20-point or more butt kicking, and we'll come back next week to talk about it. If they don't win, I'll be bummed out. We will talk about uh, where they went wrong. We'll probably get a father time. We'll drink more, and we'll talk Jets. Thank you for joining me on this episode. I'm Dan Burnham, and this is The Jet Life. (laughs) 